Yes, my friends, I am back again. Yes, indeedy. Let me just start with a few sentences to update my health. So I saw my regular doctor yesterday, who, by the way, going back to the start of the pandemic, he got really sick and he almost died from COVID. This was back in 2020. So at my appointment, I just politely asked him if he had ever had a reoccurrence of COVID. And he said that he has had COVID nine times. He's fully vaccinated. He's going to see a specialist about why it keeps happening to him, despite all the precautions that he takes. But anyway, back to me. So he ordered an x-ray after noticing on my PET scan that I had done two weeks ago that I have a compression fracture of my lumbar region of my lower back. So that fall I took sure was a doozy. He said I could do some rehab exercises myself as I know how to do them. And he recommends I go back to the gym as soon as I comfortably can. So I will aim for that tomorrow. He says nothing else is needed as it is getting better, but says I should expect it to take another three to four months, months before I begin to feel normal. So to be honest with you, I am totally happy with all that info. But I got to tell you, Paco is kind of in for some fun coming up. Because he might say, Joey, could you please bring my empty glass into the kitchen if you're headed that way? And I can respond, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I would, but I have this compression fracture of my lower back. Or he might say, hey, you didn't give me a kiss goodnight. And I can say, I didn't give you a kiss goodnight. Well, baby, I would except for this compression fracture of my lumbar region. So I figure I can milk this with him for possibly years. After five years, I can say, oh, it's getting a little better, I think, honey. And then 15 years after that, honey, I almost feel normal again. If it wasn't for this, and by this time, we'll just say it in unison, the compression fracture of your lumbar region. I got to tell you, my friends, it's going to be fabulous. I'm going to sit on the couch and eat bonbons for the next 20 years. But all that aside, my friends, in this episode, I have re-edited an old show from six years ago. Now, many of you guys have asked why I never tried to be a professional actor or voice artist other than going to the Boston Conservatory of Music. Why didn't I really try? And this story tells you about when I, as a naive 19-year-old, went to Hollywood to seek my fortune and fame. And I think it's a humorous story, so I hope you will like it. I'll be back at the end of the episode with a little bit of a surprise, and I will do another episode of the show just as soon as I can. 
No timeline promises, though. Moving forward these next few months, I got to take it a little bit at a time. And so, without any further ado, here is Don't Piss on My Hollywood Star of Fame. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find all the best shows under the rainbow at pride48.com. This, my friends, is my story I have always wanted from my earliest memory. I've wanted to be a star. I wanted to be a movie star or a TV star. My story takes place in the 1970s, so let me transport you back to those days 40 years ago. When I was growing up, I was very much a loner. I kept to myself. I didn't have a lot of friends. And what I would do is whenever I came home from school in the afternoon, I would go out in my yard. We had this big, huge yard that went out into a forest behind it. And I used to go out there and I would reenact my favorite TV shows. Lost in Space, Batman, and especially Dark Shadows. And I would go out and I would just reenact them and play different parts and do different voices. And... I guess looking back, I was kind of, you know, getting myself ready to do acting and trying to play the parts and do the voices exactly the same way that they did on the TV shows or the movies that I saw. And if somebody was walking past my house and they saw me in the yard, it wouldn't be unusual to see me kind of walking around, talking to myself, doing these different voices all by myself. (laughs) Nobody around, just entertaining the fuck out of myself. And I very much lived in that world for a very long time. In fact, I remember in the very early 70s when I first discovered Sonny and Cher, one of the things I used to imagine in my mind was me living in Hollywood and me being friends with Sonny and Cher and how we'd hang out on the weekends at their mansion and swim and just sing songs together and and all this crazy ass shit. And that's kind of the, the world that I lived in for quite a while because I just wanted to know everything that there was to know about Hollywood and about how to go out and be an actor or be a singer or be a dancer to become a star. And back then, of course, there was no internet. We're talking the 70s, early 70s. And even going to the library and trying to look up things, or if you had home encyclopedias, if you looked in those, there wasn't a lot written about Hollywood other than, you know, the basic tourist information. But they didn't have a lot going on about the film industry. The only way that I could really access that kind of information that I wanted to know, even at this young age, was that I would get what were gossip magazines at the time. Now, the National Enquirer has been around forever, and that was there back then as well. But that was always known as kind of a a rag that didn't really have true information. They'd make up stories, or they'd splice together pictures that didn't belong together and try to make a story out of them. The magazines that I used to get... I I didn't certainly have subscriptions to them. I think I would go downtown with my 15 cents that I might have for the week, and I'd buy these magazines. 
Some of the more famous ones were Silver Screen. There was another one, Modern Screen. One I liked very much called Confidential and another one called Movie World. Oh, I fucking loved Movie World. And they would not only show the behind the scenes of shows sometimes that have little pictures and little write-ups about the behind the scenes of these more popular TV shows, but they would have gossip about the stars. And I just was eating that up. And <laughs> I think I've mentioned this. One of the ones that stay so clearly in my mind was it was probably around 1969, 1970, when Lucy, Lucille Ball, had her teenage son, Desi Arnaz Jr., and he was dating Patty Duke from the Patty Duke Show. And there was this famous cover of the magazine where they found a picture of Lucy where she was kind of yelling and her eyes were, you know, bulging out out of anger. And there was another picture of Desi Arnaz Jr. who was looking very timid and shy. And then there was a big-ass one of Patty Duke facing Lucy, and Patty Duke was yelling as well. And what I'm sure what they did is they took pictures and spliced them together and made them look like there was this battle. And I just ate that up. That, that went on for months because Patty Duke was pregnant, and she was having who is now Sean Astin, her son. And uh, it was a big controversy back then, as well as... Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor being married, being separated, being divorced, being engaged, being married, being separated, being divorced, over and over again. <laughs> they did it like three or four times, I think. And uh, all those stories were things that at least allowed me to have a little peek into the window of what Hollywood was, even though they were exaggerations, certainly. But as a kid, I didn't know they were exaggerations. I thought, wow, I, I can't wait to get to Hollywood because I'm going to go, and I, <laughs> I, I remember this so clearly, I'm going to go, and I'm going to meet with Lucille Ball and Patty Duke, and I'm going to iron out that relationship for them because I know what to do. <laughs> I know how to settle it down for them. So I dreamed of that someday, me going out to Hollywood and me being welcomed with open arms at the airport by Lucy and Sonny and Cher, and we were going to hang out on the weekends, and we were going to sing, and they were going to put me on their show as a guest, and then I'd be a breakout star. Ah, yes. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. During my childhood here in Boston, there was a local TV show called Rex Trailer, and Rex Trailer was a cowboy, and he hosted a kids TV show where he had local kids come on and they'd play games and they'd watch little films. And it was like a half hour to an hour on Saturday mornings. And there was a band that this show hired to play kind of background music, but it was playful background music. And this band was made up of all of my brother's friends, my brother Rick's friends. And my brother Rick also, even though he wasn't a musician in any way, he electrified an anvil so that he could take a hammer and hit it and it would give different notes so that he could play along with the band as well. So my brother Rick and his friends would be on this TV show. And one of the best parts about Rex Trailer and the history of that 
was they started around 1970 having organized trips that you could go on out to California. And you could go with your parents and they had family packages. Or if you were 11 years or older, you could go by yourself and they would put you in to a group of kids and you'd have a chaperone and everyone would check in with the parents back home so that you could go on this week-long or seven or ten-day-long trip to California and see all the best parts of California. So in 1972, which was the year after my father died, I started begging my mother to let me go on this trip. I would show her the brochures about it. I'd say, you know, it's, it's chaperoned. They check in with you all the time. Um, you're going to know everything that goes on, as well as the band... My brother was no longer a part of it, but the band that was still working with the TV show was going to go on this trip as well. So all my brother's friends would be there and they could watch me as well. So my mother finally agreed to it. In February of 1973, I went out on this trip to Hollywood with Rex Trailer. And the way they had arranged it was that you got to go and see all the very best things of Southern California. We went to Universal Studios. We went to the Hollywood Wax Museum. We went to SeaWorld. We went to uh, Knott's Berry Farm in Ghost Town. We went to Disneyland. And the best part for me was we did a day-long tour of Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And I remember sitting on the bus, and we were driving down this large boulevard in Beverly Hills, and the person on the microphone, the tour guide up in the front, mentioned that there was Lucille Ball's house. And I saw it coming, and it had this fence around it, this nice little, I think, white picket fence. It was beautiful mansion. And I got so excited, right? Oh, my God, this is my chance. I'm going to meet Lucy. She's going to make me a star. So I remember standing up in the bus and walking my way up to the front and getting the attention of the person that was the tour guide and saying, could you pull over so I could get out? <laughs> I was like 12 years old. Could you pull over so I could get out, please? No, 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 sorry. You can't do that, kid. Go sit down. So I'm like, oh, damn, you know, there was my chance to meet Lucy. But we saw all the very, very best that you could see in, in Los Angeles and the Hollywood area. We went all to the nice places. We didn't see the poor sections of Los Angeles. We didn't see the seediness of what Hollywood was. We only saw the beautiful parts. And that stayed with me. So then after this trip, I went through junior high school and then into high school. And in high school is when I decided this is when I'm really going to hone my talent and try to become the best actor and singer that I possibly could be. So I would be in all of the school drama productions, sometimes in very dominant roles in them. I did an, uh, an opera with the music department where I was the star, male star of that opera. We did a whole bunch of things, and I belonged to different choral groups in high school, and I also belonged to a group that was made up of all of the best singers and musicians of Massachusetts high schools. It was called the Greater Bostonians. 
And I was in that for three years. We did some records. We did an annual TV show. We did a lot of concert appearances. So that was really a big deal for me to do that. And all the while, I was preparing to go into college for music. And I had chosen to go to the Boston Conservatory of Music. I started there in 1976, right after high school, and I was a voice major, piano minor, and a dual major in musical theater. And starting with the very first few months I was in school, I kind of realized I was a little bit out of my element because I wasn't trained classically on the piano. I was taught a method where you could kind of take shortcuts but still sound like you're playing in kind of a Liberace kind of way where you do a lot of runs and you do a lot of chord progressions, but you don't actually read the left-handed music. You don't do it exactly the way that it was written. And once I got into Boston Conservatory, that was a big-ass problem for me because everybody had studied being able to play in a classical way. And even my voice singing which I qualified for, and I was a voice major, my heart was never really into doing opera and doing all of the different languages. We had to learn Italian and German and French. We had to be able to sing in all of those languages. And, you know, my mother had died, and I was on my own, newly, and it was just something that I wasn't mature enough to handle. So after the first year... I decided to leave Boston Conservatory. Right around Christmas of 1976, I met my first boyfriend. His name was Bill, and we started dating. He had this apartment. He was the first person that I knew that had their own apartment where I could go and stay over and, you know, have a relationship with him. And he had this beautiful apartment in a complex with a big pool, and he drove a nice car. And for a few months, Everything was really perfect. But because I had left Boston Conservatory, I didn't have a job. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was really very restless. And even though I liked this relationship I was in, I really needed more. And so after we were together only for about three or four months, I convinced Bill that we should move out to Hollywood. Because I was convinced that after one year's worth of studying musical theater and voice, that I was going to be a star. I was ready. That's as much training as I needed. So I convinced this poor guy, Bill, who was just the sweetest guy. Uh, I was 18. He was 23. Sweet, sweet guy. He agreed that, yeah, let's, let's go do that because I'm just kind of in a dead-end job here. I'm not that happy, so, yeah, let's move. Now, being an 18-year-old kid on my own, I didn't have very much stuff. He was the guy that had the house that was furnished, and he had this very nice car. And he was actually willing to sell all of that. And he sold off his furniture, and he sold his car for cash, and loaded with maybe four or $5,000, we decided we were heading out to Hollywood. So we packed up some boxes, and my mother and my aunt had, used to have a friend that lived in the Boston area. She had moved out to Southern California years before. 
So I gave her a call and said, you know, can we ship some boxes to your place and we'll come and pick them up once we're settled? And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we sent off these boxes, bought our plane tickets, and flew out to Hollywood. Now, you got to remember, I had been there a few years before, but I had seen only the best parts on tour buses, going to all of the nice tourist areas. But when you fly out and you're on your own, and you don't have that much money, and you're trying to spare your money and keep it in case you need it, we arrived at LAX and we stayed at a hotel at the airport overnight. And then the next morning we went out to Hollywood and we went to a hotel in Hollywood. And I think we got it for like five days or six days because I knew five or six days. Come on now. That's, that's plenty of time to become a star. Five or six days. They're going to be knocking on my door to get me to sign a contract within two or three days. I assured Bill, no problem. I'm talented. Are you kidding me? This is going to go places. Oh, that poor man. Anyway, so <laughs> so that first day, we went and kind of did the Hollywood thing, up and down Hollywood Boulevard. And we went to Grauman's Chinese Theater, which is that famous uh, Chinese-looking theater, that has the footprints and handprints and signatures of a lot of the big stars in the movies. And we walked along there and we looked at those and I just imagined me doing it someday. You know, even in my head, I could still imagine the flash bulbs going off as I, as I signed my name in cement. And I decided I was going to have my signature and handprints and footprints right next to Lucy. Because the first time I had ever seen this theater and these cement prints of the stars was on a Lucy episode where they had all gone out to Hollywood for Ricky to be a star. And Lucy and Ethel swiped John Wayne's footprints and he had to go back and redo it a number of times. So Lucy was my inspiration. Lucy was going to make me a star. Everything was falling in place exactly as it should. So that first day, Bill and I went to a movie at Grumman's Chinese Theater, and after that, we kind of walked around Hollywood Boulevard a little bit, and I was beginning to notice that Hollywood Boulevard wasn't exactly the nicest part of Southern California. <laughs> I noticed, you know, it looked a little bit run down. It looked like a little questionable. It had some bookstores with XXX cross it on signs like triple X. What in the world does that mean? Triple X. So <laughs> we went in and out of stores for a little bit. Then we went back. We went out to dinner. The next day I said to Bill, okay, I'm going to go back out to Hollywood Boulevard because it seems to me that there were a number of guys around my age out there and maybe they're going to be able to steer me into what I should do when I go to the studios which I was planning to do in a couple of days. So Bill decided to go off and do something. I went back out onto Hollywood Boulevard, and I dressed in a tank top, and I dressed in shorts, because I wanted the California sun to get me, so I had a nice tan for when I go and do my screen tests at the major movie studios. So I'm walking around Hollywood Boulevard, 
And I'm getting all these looks from these other guys that were like 17, 18, 19 years old. And they were all in short, short, cut-off shorts. And they were wearing tank tops, or they were shirtless. They were very attractive, but a little on the dirty side, a little grimy, like not the cleanest looking guys I'd ever seen, but they were very attractive. So maybe these were actors. Maybe these were people that could steer me to an agent or to Lucy. Who knows? Maybe they know Lucy. So I started walking up and down the street, going into some of the bookstores, and I noticed some of the guys were kind of cruising me. I thought maybe like they were checking me out. And as I walked and I would stop and I'd be on a corner of the street trying to decide where I was going to go next, a couple of times guys would come up to me and, and kind of say something rude to me, like, get the fuck out of here. And I didn't know why they were saying that, like, get the fuck out of Hollywood. I, I just arrived. What do you mean get the fuck out of here? And so I'd move and I'd go to a different area, standing on a corner, and like another guy would be rude to me, like, get off this corner. And I'm thinking, why are they saying this to me? <laughs> How rude. People in Hollywood are rude. Ah, but they're actors. Of course they're rude. They're probably so used to having to do autographs all day and working at their movies on location, and they're probably exhausted, and, and that's why they're being this way to me. Yeah, I wasn't the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree when I was 18 years old. So... <laughs> I was in a bookstore, and at one point, this blonde surfer-looking kid, who was very much the type I was into at the time, was watching me. And as I walked out the store and walked down the street, he was staying a couple paces behind me, following me. And I could tell that he was following me, obviously. So I was thinking, well, maybe I can get some information about Hollywood from him. So I stopped at the next corner, and I'm just standing there. And sure enough, this kid kind of walks up and kind of stands next to me, but not really saying anything, kind of looking in, in a different direction, looking, kind of looking around to see where he was going to go. And he started talking to me. And he's like, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, good. How you doing? My name's Joey, and his name's whatever the fuck. And uh, he said, what are you doing out here? And I said, oh, can you tell I don't belong? He's like, well, you're really pale. <laughs> so I figure you must be a tourist. And I'm like, oh no, man, I'm, I'm not a tourist. No, I've moved out here to be an actor. And he looked at me and he went, oh, really? <laughs> Hadn't heard that before. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to be an actor and uh, I'm going to go out to the studios in a few days to, uh, to do some screen tests and see what happens. And he's like, oh, that's, that's cool. So I asked him what he did or why he was there. And he said, oh, I'm an actor too. And I'm like, you know what, man? I knew, I knew it. I knew you were an actor. So I'm thinking maybe you can give me some pointers or, or help me out with this somehow. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can maybe set you up with something. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so I'm staying at a hotel down the road and, you know, we're here for at that hotel for a few days. So I don't know, should I give you my name and my the name of the hotel? You can get in touch with me. He's like, no, man, actually, uh, why don't we uh, 
why don't we go see somebody right now? And I'm like, right now? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's early in the day. Let's head over. I, I, a guy you can talk to about doing some films. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yes. And, and I'm looking at myself going, well, I'm not really like dressed to go and do like a screen test or anything. And he's like, ah, don't worry, kid. <laughs> don't worry. You're dressed just fine. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm such a douche. So he leads me off down the road and we're walking and we're walking block after block. And we're starting to get into some areas that really aren't cool at all. And we head off a of Hollywood Boulevard and we're in these kind of desolate factory looking buildings there. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's a studio here. Maybe, maybe these are somehow the sound stages of, of the studio. So he's, he's walking me along and he stops in front of this building. And there's like this metal staircase going up the side all the way to the roof, kind of like a fire escape would be, although it wasn't locked off like a fire escape, but it had that rickety metal look to it. And he's like, uh, yeah, we're going to go up here on the third floor and I'm going to have you talk to a guy. And suddenly I started getting this like creepy feeling like what something's wrong with this. Like this isn't how I imagined it was going to be is this kid taking me to this rickety staircase up to this third floor of like a factory building. You know, I had I had assumed when I went to the studios for my screen test, that they would they would send a car for me, of course, you know, send a limo to pick me up to go do my screen test. And here I am walking with this kid to this weird factory. So I'm like, uh, you know, today's not the best day to do this. And he's like, well, he's waiting, you know, why don't we, we go up? And I'm like, how can he be waiting if, you didn't know you were going to be talking to me. And he, he made up like some excuse like, oh, I bring, I bring guys by all the time for these tests. And, you know, he'll do a screen test right now. And I just got this really bad feeling. So I'm like, you know what? Um, I got to meet somebody right now. I'll, I'll come back tomorrow or whatever. And I kind of walked away. And he's like, dude, you know, uh, whatever. And I disappeared. And so I knew Bill was busy for a little while longer, so I went back to Hollywood Boulevard, a couple streets away, and I'm walking up and down, and I go into this bookstore that I hadn't been in, and this one didn't have XXX, it was like a regular normal bookstore. So I went in, and I'm just browsing the books, and I get some books about Hollywood and the studios, and I walk up to the counter with them, and the person behind the desk is like, oh, hi, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm from Boston, but I, I just moved out here. And they're like, oh, that's great. What, you know, where are you settling? And I said, well, probably right here in Hollywood because I'm going to be an actor. And the person kind of smiled at me a little bit. And I'm like, you know, or a singer or whatever. And they're like, well, good luck to you. And they're checking me out with the books. And I said, well, you know, I just almost got an audition just a short time ago. And the person's really, oh, that's great. Good. You're going to get somewhere. 
And I'm like, yeah, I was out on Hollywood Boulevard just down the street. And this kid comes up to me and starts talking to me and says that I can go and audition for a film right then and there. And it was a, it was a guy that was checking me out at the bookstore that was doing the, the sale of the books. So he closed the books and he leaned forward and he said, um, how old are you? And I said, I'm 18. I'll be 19 in a few months. And the guy leans into me and he says, kid, you, you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be talking to the guys that are out on Hollywood Boulevard. And whatever you do, don't go with any of them. And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, you don't want to be in the kind of film that they wanted you to be in. And I said, <laughs> I, said I said something to the effect of, um, you know, I'll do anything. I mean, I, I just want to work my way up to be a star. I know I can't be a star on day one. Obviously, I have to start with a smaller part in a show, but I don't have a problem with that. And the guy hands me my books and says, just stay away from those guys, all right? All that they want you to do is gay porn. And I just looked at him, and I didn't say anything, and I took the bag, and I walked out, and I'm thinking, gay porn? What the fuck is gay porn? I had been out and about with guys for about four years at that point, and I had seen Playgirl magazine. That started in 1973, and I used to always go and buy that each month, although it would take me hours to get up the balls to actually walk into the store to buy it. I'd go in and out of stores. I'd pick them up. I'd look at them. I'd put them down. It would take me forever to buy one of those. So that was the only experience I had with photographs of naked guys. I hadn't seen a film. I didn't even know that such a thing existed. So I wasn't sure what he was talking about. So I went back uh, to the hotel and Bill was back and he said, so how'd things go? And I'm like, well, I thought I was going to have an audition, but... And I explained the whole thing to him. And I said, and this guy at the bookstore was saying that they wanted me to do gay porn. I, I don't know what that is. And Bill, who was a few years older than me, said, gay pornography. They wanted you to do a gay sex film. And I said, no, really? And the first thing that occurs to me is, really? I'm attractive enough to do a gay porn film? And... Uh, but then it sank in like, oh, fuck, man. You know, I came out here to be a star. That's not how I want to be a star. You know, I, I couldn't imagine Troy Donahue or James Dean doing naked photos and movies. Although, now we know James Dean actually did do some nude photos, which you can find online if you look. But I was convinced like, oh, great, that's what it's going to be. So I, it kept in my mind this gay porn thing. And then as I would go back to Hollywood Boulevard to do various things, I would look at these movie theaters and they would have gay movies in them. And I don't know why. I mean, I guess because I lived in Boston and Boston really didn't have anything like that. But to see that kind of thing was really disheartening. Like, And then suddenly it was like my eyes were suddenly opened in the Garden of Eden because suddenly as I looked at these grimy good-looking guys wearing small amounts of clothing hanging out on the street corners of Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, right. 
their hustlers. That I knew what was. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, I'm certainly not going to be a hustler in Hollywood. That's not what I want to do. I'm going to go to one of the major studios. So I was really depressed that night. And Bill obviously could sense this. So he said, well, let's go out to a really nice dinner tonight. Where do you want to go? And one of the places that I had in my mind that was another place that maybe I could get discovered was the Brown Derby restaurant, because I saw that on an episode of Lucy as well. And I knew that there were photos of all the stars all over the walls, and very often some of the big movie stars would go there. So I said, let's go to the Brown Derby. So he's like, all right, cool. So we go there that night, and I'm sitting in a booth, and I'm not even paying attention to food. My head's just whipping around back and forth, trying to find somebody, trying to see a star, you know, knowing I, I even brought paper and a pen. I was going to go ask for their autograph. I was all excited. This was, this was going to be a way for me to get into the movie studios. I would hook up with somebody at the Brown Derby. Well, I didn't. <laughs> There was nobody there. There was, and I mean, nobody there. But all I was doing was looking for movie stars. And there was nobody there. <laughs> you know, it was all like part of the fictional Hollywood thing. You know, in, I guess in, in years past, back in like the 50s and 60s, movie stars would go there. But by now, no, they, it was a tourist place. That it, and so they moved on to other places. So I'm sitting there like a tourist like everybody else is sitting there like a tourist, looking around for the stars. And so we finished our dinner and went back to the hotel, and I never met a movie star, and nobody asked for my autograph, so I was even more bummed out. But I said to Bill, you know what? Tomorrow is the day. I am going to the studios tomorrow. I'm going to pick one studio, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to do a screen test. And he's like, okay, that sounds great. And so I was like all psyched and picking out my clothes and I was all ready. And I had long hair that was feathered like David Cassidy from the Partridge family. That's kind of how I wore my hair back then. And I picked out some nice clothes that were a little bit revealing, but not too dressy, but casual, but look good. And that was going to be my outfit to knock on the doors of the studios. So sure enough, the next day I said, you know what, I'm going to Paramount Studios today, and I'll be back, a star. And Bill's like, okay, bye, kissy, kissy, right? And I head out. I was just so excited because I knew that this was going to work out perfectly. I couldn't wait to get to the studio and to do my screen test. So I went to the main gate of Paramount Studios, and I boldly walked up to the guard at the main gate and I introduced myself and I said, hi, I was there to be filmed and I was ready to sign up. And the guy looked at me <laughs> and he said, well, you know, that's nice, but that's actually not the way it works. Um, you have to get an agent and you have to go to open calls and all of this stuff. You can't just come into the studio and try out. And I said, are, are you sure? I mean, there's movies being filmed here right now, right? And he's like, well, there's stuff being filmed today, yes. But again, you can't just waltz in and decide you're going to, to do something. And so I, I, I thought, okay, this guy is looking at me. And I don't think he realizes the talent 
that is standing in front of him, right? I figured one of his jobs was to just kind of evaluate people, and if they don't seem talented, to send them away. So I just thought, well, you know, he just doesn't know how talented I am. So I had this song, uh, it's a Simon and Garfunkel song called Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And I used that for a lot of auditions through high school. So, (laughs) sorry. All right. So I step back a little bit. The gate is down and I'm kind of standing there and cars are like passing through once in a while. I'm standing on the curb the other side. So I walk up to him right in between when the cars are going by and I start singing Bridge Over Troubled Waters. (laughs) Right. And, and the guy just kind of looks at me and um, he's like, really, kid, you, you got to go. This, this isn't how it goes. And I said, I can dance, right? And it was on pavement, right? So I started to do some tap that I learned um, in the musical theater department of Boston Conservatory. So I started to do a little bit of a tap thing. And uh, then a car is like lined up and they're kind of beeping their horns. And he's like, kid, really? No, you, you got to go. Um, go get an agent. Go take some lessons. Go to some open calls for, for auditions for things. And then maybe someday you'll end up back here at Paramount. And I was like really kind of depressed about that, right? Fuck. And I'm thinking, well, I could go to other studios and try, but... I was really let down that that I couldn't just like walk in and do something. So as I turn to begin to walk away, there's a limousine that is starting to exit on the other side of the gate. And the guard walked, you know, from the side I'm on, he walked across to through his little booth to the other side. As the limousine passes, uh, the driver rolls the window down, and actually the the back window was cracked a little bit, and the guard waved him on and said, uh, have a nice day, Mr. Beatty. And the limousine, you know, started to, to move a little bit as it started to go towards the street. And I thought, fuck, Mr. Beatty, that's Warren Beatty. That's fucking Warren Beatty. He can make me a star. <laughs> It turned out he was filming Heaven Can Wait, which was a movie that came out the year after that. But so as the limousine's pulling out towards the street, I walk over and I, I'm kind of leaning in the window a little bit. And I'm like, hi, Mr. Beatty. My name is Joey. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to audition. And I want to be an actor. And I want to be a star. And the limousine just keeps moving. And he, Warren Beatty just kind of flicks his hand up a little bit and waves, gives me a half a wave. And he had long hair in 1970s. You know, he was filming uh, uh, Heaven Can Wait. He looked really good back then. But Warren Beatty was not going to help me be a star. Neither was that guy at the gate. So I was thinking at this point, like, wow, you know, they, they say it's really hard to make it in Hollywood. And boy, it really is. <laughs> Because I had tried like for an hour, right? And nothing happened. I put myself out there for an hour. If I can't be a star in an hour, well, then Hollywood really is a hard thing to do. (sighs) Regret, regret, regret. So I went back to Bill and I'm like, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And he's like, that's okay. That's okay. Um, You know, tomorrow's another day. 
So I went to bed and I remember laying there in the dark and thinking about what happened at the studio, but also about gay porn and what that was about and thinking, I wonder if that's like a stepping stone that you can do gay porn and maybe you become a star of gay porn. I don't know. And then from that point, you're brought up and then they offer you a big movie, a regular movie. Maybe that's the way to go. So um, I convinced Bill the next day to take me to a gay porn movie because I had never seen one. And so we went to one of those theaters on Hollywood Boulevard and we went in, we paid our money, we went in and I'm assuming the majority of you have probably gone to a gay porn film at some point in your life. The theaters are always filthy, dark, with guys in little groups or singles sitting around, sometimes with things in their laps and their hands are moving as they're watching the film. Sometimes you see guys bending over into the lap of the guy next to them. This was all new for me. It was like, wow. Like, you can just come into a theater like this and have sex with people that are in the theater. Wow, that's amazing. So we sat down together and we started watching the films. And I remember being revolted and mortified by the fact that there were not just one and two guys on the screen at any given time, but they were in groups. They were having sex in groups. It was amazing. And then there was a video where they were outside and they were cruising outside. And I had never, never knew about any of this stuff. And I'm like, shit, you can go to places where there's like bushes and trails and things outside in nature, and you can go around there, and there are other guys that will have sex in the bushes with you. Holy fuck. And I remember after being there for maybe a half an hour, and the theater kind of stunk a little bit, and the guys were creeping me out that was seated around us because they were kind of moving in because, you know... Me and Bill were sitting there together and guys are starting to fill in the seats around us. And it was, it was just really making me feel really depressed about Hollywood and depressed about what I might end up doing. And uh, so I said to Bill, we, we got to get out of here. This, this, is, this is disgusting. And just so you know, I don't ever want to do anything that those people were doing on the screen. I think that was so revolting. So we go back to the hotel. We go to the bar. We have a couple drinks. We go back to the room, and I jump on him, and we fuck like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> I was so pent up with horniness from seeing that stuff on the films, even though I was saying, oh, it was, it's disgusting, I don't want to look, no, 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 get it away from me. But then I really wanted to do stuff, so that just overtook me, had, had a night of passion. It was awesome. So the next day, which was now the fifth day that we were there, we decided to go apartment hunting. Bill thought, well, you know what? If we, if we find a nice apartment and we can settle in there and you feel comfortable, you'll be able to go out on auditions and everything will be good. So we went and we saw a few garden apartments. There were, you know, buildings on the first floor with gardens. We went in uh, one high-rise apartment which was really strange because there was this little old lady who was taking out a pink Christmas tree in the elevator. She had taken a live tree and sprayed it pink with paint. And this was in late February. <laughs> 
And she's riding down in the elevator and the tree's just disintegrating as she's standing there. And she's looking at us going, you know, I just, I just hate to take down the Christmas tree. I just love the Christmas season to keep going. And we're looking at this creepy ass pink tree that's shedding. And I'm, I, I just said to Bill, fuck, I, everything is wrong. You know, I, I don't, I didn't see stars. People are trying to get me to do porn, disgusting porn that I can't even stand watching. And they won't let me in at the studios to audition. And what the fuck? So I was like really depressed. So starting the next day, the sixth day, I had hit the wall with it, to be honest with you. And it's a regret to this day that I have because I had the opportunity. I was there. We had money to get an apartment. I could have certainly started to do auditions and stuff, but I was, I was looking for, you know, it overnight. I was looking to be a star overnight. And I was so depressed from everything that had happened that I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go back to Boston. And so I said to Bill, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go home. It's not working out. And Bill, being the nice guy that he was, was like, that's okay. That's okay. You know, we can go back and we'll just look at this as an unexpected vacation. What of a saint of a guy, you know, this guy that sold all his belongings, that sold his car, that moved out there with me. And now I'm saying I want to go home. Back then, I was not able to think of anyone but myself. And that's a regret. I, I regret the fact I didn't try hard enough to be an actor. And I regret the fact that I, poor guy, that uh, I made move out there and then I made move back. So I came back. Bill and I broke up shortly after that. I went back. I did another two years at Boston Conservatory. So I was there for three years. I did not finish my fourth year. So I didn't graduate. And this is regret number two. You know, I had this opportunity out in Hollywood. I could have done it. I could have at least tried to do it the right way. And then when I come back, I go to Boston Conservatory and I was so disillusioned about what studying there could do for me. You know, it's not going to do me, it's not going to get me into auditions any more than the average person. And I certainly wouldn't be able to do anything in Boston with it. I'd have to move to New York or Los Angeles. And then I'd have to go through that whole process. And I was just depressed. I was so fucking depressed during that time. So I dropped out of Boston Conservatory. And to this day, I mean, how stupid was I at the beginning of my senior year there, my fourth year there? I drop out. It's fucking crazy. And then time went by. You know, I went into the funeral business and all of that stuff. And I've never given up the desire to do that, which kind of brings me to my podcast and kind of brings me to my YouTube videos. But I, I did, when I was a funeral director down on Cape Cod, I did continue to perform. I used to do a lot of higher-end restaurants that had dinner music in the lounge. I would be the featured performer, singer, and pianist. And I did really well down there. And then after I gave up funeral directing, uh, it just kind of went by the wayside a little bit more. And then uh, once I was in the gym business, it just didn't seem like there was any time for that. And I kind of had to give up on my dream a little bit until this format comes about. And I know I'm not the best at doing this. I've listened to other podcasts. There are people that are better at this than I am. 
but I'm trying to strive to be better and better. If you listen back to my old episodes, not just of this podcast, but of Beginner Diet and Fitness Podcast, you'll see that as I progress, I think I'm getting better at this. I think I am getting better at the production as well as the content. And you all are listening to me. You all are my friends. You all are my audience. And because I had always desired that, I cannot begin to tell you how important all of you are to me. How incredible it is for me to know that I can sit right here in my home talking in this microphone right now, and there are people in Indonesia, and there are people in Kenya, and there are people in Peru that are listening to my podcast. And you have made me feel like I'm a star. And I really, really, really appreciate that. And so I will conclude now with a surprise for you. I know this podcast is super long. I hope you're doing it maybe in two sittings because it is long. But I thought I'd share a bit of the music from my past to kind of illustrate what it was that I always wanted to do. Meanwhile, I will be back soon. Please consider giving me a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the podcast. I love those five-star ratings and it moves me up in the iTunes rankings. And that gets me very, very excited. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, An Older Gay Guy Show. So in closing, I'm going to play a song for you that I did for a friend's wedding a couple of years ago. It was a little video I did. Uh, I'm going to play the audio part. And it was just a fun thing for their wedding. I thought I'd just kind of fool around with a song. The song is Fly Me to the Moon. It was made famous by Frank Sinatra. So I hope you enjoy it. Here is Fly Me to the Moon. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars In other words, hold my hand In other words, baby kiss me
Washington, Canada. 